Well, welcome uh, to Beyond tonight. We are so excited to have you here with us. Uh, if you're just uh, coming uh, or joining us tonight, maybe you've missed a couple of weeks or, or maybe this is your first time joining us tonight, we're in uh, part five of a six-part series uh, that we've been doing called Guess Who? Uh, the way we like to do things is, at Beyond is we like to uh, camp out on a series for, for a couple of weeks, an idea, a topic, a theme, and we like to pull it apart uh, over a number of weeks. And so the subtitle for this series is Knowing Who You Are and Growing Into the Person You Want to Become. So in part one and two of this series, we looked at this idea of identity. How do you know who you are? How do you begin to place your identity in a place where you want to have it uh, end up? So many of us in our lives you know, think we know where our identity is placed and then we look back years later or months later and we go, how do I end up here? Because I thought my identity was, was sending me on a path this way and then I didn't end up where I wanted to end up. So for a lot of us, some of us really don't actually know or we kind of just think we know where our identity is placed. And so in part one and two, uh, we jumped into that and actually uh, Josh Cookle and Riley Brown uh, took part one and two. And if you want to hear some awesome messages, you should jump onto our SoundCloud and you should listen to those two guys pull that idea of identity apart. Um, If you're a single girl um, and you're in the ages of sort of 18 to to 24, these guys are really good looking and they're single. If you don't know who they are, just ask around. Hey, can someone point me in the direction of Josh? I just really want to congratulate them on their SoundCloud. It was awesome. You know, you don't even have to have listened to it. That can just be your way in. You're welcome. Um, then, Then in part four to six, we're looking at really giving you some practical ways to begin to grow into the person that you want to become. So in part three, we looked at this idea that some of us really know where we want to grow. We know people who have grown into the things that we want to grow into, but we don't know how to grow into it ourselves because we've never had to grow into it. So we said, you know, in that, uh, in that part, we, we encourage you to go and find someone who's grown in the area where you want to grow in and learn from them. Ask them questions. Take them out for coffee. Take them out for lunch. Ask them questions. How did you begin to grow in that, that area? Because that's an area that I want to grow in. That's where I want my identity to be found. And then last week, we looked at this idea of priorities. There's so many of us, we, we talk about, you know, my calendar's so busy, I've got so much going on. And we looked at the notion that your, what's on your calendar actually says more about what you prioritize than it does about what you've got to do. Because your priorities, in, in other words, what you put your time into, your priorities, what you invest into, will pave the way to your identity. And so the challenge last week was to actually, for every hour, for the week, for every single day, for seven days, Go through and document, list where you spend your time. And then at the end of the week, go and see where you, what you prioritize. Go and see what you allot and where, where you spend your time. And look and see if that's the path that's going to uh, move you towards where you say your identity is placed. Tonight, though, I, I actually wanted to, to start off by sharing with you uh, uh, a story, a little bit of a story about someone who's really helped me grow in my life. This is someone I looked up to uh, from a very young age. Uh, They still have some kind of influence on my life. They've really helped me step out and grow into the person and and some of the characteristics that I am now. Uh, And this person, in fact, all of you probably know this person in some form or another. You might not know him as well as I know him, but you know, that's okay. Uh, And this person is Batman. Uh, Ever since I was little, I have just loved Batman. You know, this guy, I've been crazy about this guy, Batman. Um, and I, For me, I think it's the whole concept that he, uh, he's a, just a normal, everyday guy, yet for some reason, you know, uh, obviously a tragedy happened in his life and then uh, that set him up on, on a path. And when he goes, you know, he's part of all these uh, teams and these allegiances and these leagues that have people with superhero powers. And for some reason, this is the only human guy that seems to, be, to, to fit in with these superhumans. And I don't know why, but I kind of just got drawn to it. 
And there's one particular story of Batman. It's a novel. It's up on the screen. But it's by a guy called Dennis O'Neill. And this is my favourite um, Batman novel uh, of all time. It's not a comic book. It's not a graphic novel. It's actually like the one with the words on the page. It's a novel. And, and the reason I like this is because it's a little bit different to every other Batman story that we know or that we've been told. Uh, within this story, you know, obviously, you know, kind of just the general superhero vibe uh, is that there's a criminal and then the criminal kind of creates some kind of tension and then the superhero, whether it be Batman or Superman or Spider-Man or Captain America, has to come in and put the criminal away. But in this particular story, Nightfall, uh, there's a character called Bane and he comes to Gotham City with the intent of destroying Batman. And if you're into superhero movies a little bit, uh, you might start to hear some of these themes. This book was actually the book that the latest, um, it's called uh, Dark Knight Rises, the latest uh, Christopher Nolan Batman movie with Christian Bale in it uh, was based around um, elements of this book. And so Bane comes to, to Gotham City where Batman hangs out and his aim is to destroy Batman. And so what he does is, he goes to Arkham Asylum, which is like, for some reason, like the most unsecured jail in the world, because people are always breaking out of there. Um, you know, the world's deadliest criminals in the most unsecured jail in the world. And, and these guys always keep getting out, and Bane just like lets all these criminals out. And so Batman goes from criminal to criminal, trying to put them away so that they, they don't hurt the, the people of the city, uh, and so that he's kind of protecting the city that, that he feels he's responsible for. And eventually, when he is at his lowest, when he is, is at his weakest, Bane comes in, and Bane breaks Batman's back. And this, the reason that I kind of like this story is because it doesn't have an epic comeback. It doesn't have this, this you know, feel-good movie where kind of Batman goes away for six months or a year and then comes back and beats Bane. No, Batman actually admits Bruce Wayne, I'm sorry if I ruined that for anyone, Bruce Wayne, the man behind the mask of Batman, uh, admits, I'm not in a state to fight this battle. I'm not in a position to be able to, to do this. But of course, he's Batman. He's the world's greatest detective. Uh, and so he had a contingency in place. And he had been training up someone else to take his place in the event that he could no longer fulfill the role of Batman. Because he knew that there's not, there's not many people that knew who Batman was. And so he wanted the idea of Batman, the symbol of Batman, to stay present in Gotham City, even if he was unable to fulfill his duties. And so he'd been training this person called Gene Paul Valley. Uh, and he'd been training Gene for, for a number of years, and Gene was kind of similar height, similar build, he'd done his research, and Batman had trained him up. And so he kind of, once Batman, you know, uh, could, Bruce Wayne couldn't fulfill the role of Batman, he hands it over to Gene Paul Valley. And for the start, you know, everything's gone along, everything seems to, to be fine, there's a new guy in town. Most people have no idea that, that ba- anything's happened to Batman. Bane can't figure it out. Why? What's going on? I thought I broke the bat's back, like, I thought he was done, and now he's back. But after a while, despite the fact that Gene Paul Valley looked the same in the suit, despite the fact that he had the similar physique, despite the fact he even had the same fighting style as Bruce Wayne, things started to happen and people began to say, you're not, there's something different here. You're not who the other guy was. There's, there's a new guy where, underneath the mask. We don't know who was under the mask originally, but, but you are not him. And the way you do things isn't the way that he did things. Because Gene Paul Valley kind of crossed a line that Batman doesn't cross and he started to kill people. Sure, Batman blows people up and sends them into like intensive care where they like, might never be able to walk again on the video games or on the comic books. But he never killed people, okay? And Gene Paul Valley, he steps over that line and he, he starts to make this characteristic. He, he, he separates himself. Despite the fact he's wearing the suit, despite the fact he looks like Batman, despite the fact he fights like Batman, there's a characteristic that separates him from Batman. 
And I don't know whether, whether you've experienced that in your life, whether there are people who claim to be one thing, yet the characteristics and the way they live their life actually tell you something different. And it's not, it doesn't take us long to begin to realize when we spend some time with them, when we hang out with them, when we, when we uh, really get to know them, that the words that they say don't match up with the way they live their life. I mean, you and I do this on, a, on an almost daily basis. We say things, we're going to do things, and, and we have a really easy time picking this out in other people, don't we? It's just such a simple thing to pick out in someone else, you know. Oh, look, look, you know, that person's, you know, they said they were going to go on the diet, and then look at them, eating fast food. Oh, that person, you know, said they were really cared about their marriage, and they were going to invest in their marriage, and now, look, it's fallen apart. And we make judgment calls about other people and it's really easy for us to point out in other people's lives when their characteristics and the way they live don't, act up with who they, don't measure up with who they say they are. Yet for some reason in our lives, we have such a hard time figuring it out. In our lives, it's so hard for us or it seems so hard for us to see the ways where we say on the one hand we're, we're one thing and then, we say, and then we live out a different way in life. There's an incompatibility there. And, and this, this, I think, is the reason that, that a lot of us do it. Have you ever noticed that if someone is late for a meeting, there's always something internally that's wrong with the person? You know, we point out the flaws that are inside the person. If someone's late, oh, they're disorganized. Oh, they're always disorganized. They're never prepared. Their calendar is never sorted. If someone gets up to, you know, you've been trusting them with that presentation, and then they get up and they, oh, this is so typical of them. They haven't done their market research. They have no idea you know, what the KPIs for our industry are. They're getting up. They're representing us. It's because they don't care. If only they just cared a little bit more. Yet when you and I do the same thing, we don't point inside, we point outside. Oh, sorry, I'm late. My, my alarm didn't go off. And then like, I couldn't find the bread to make the toast. And then I like my toast like, in just a certain way. And it wasn't my fault, but the toaster didn't make it the way that I wanted the toaster to make it. And then I couldn't find the butter. And then I was really tired because I didn't have any coffees. And then I had to go get coffee. I'm not lazy. I'm not disorganized. There was so much stuff going on outside that meant that I couldn't, you know, that that was why I was late. See, when, when others are inconsistent, we point to the inside. Sorry, we, yeah, we point to their inside. But when we're inconsistent, we point to the outside. And it's because we're really good at making excuses for ourselves. We are so good at this. You don't need any practice in this. Like, I'm great at it. You're great at it. We are all so good at excusing the ways that we live that's inconsistent with who we say we are. And we make up all these excuses. And it's never our fault. It's always something on the outside. You know, I wouldn't be lazy. I wouldn't, you know, not prioritize my time. I wouldn't, you know, have that set, uh, you know, financially. It's something outside that's preventing me from doing that. And tonight, I want to begin to speak specifically, actually, to those of us who, who claim to be followers of Jesus. This message is specifically revolved around that idea for those of us who are followers of Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus here, you're still going to get something out of this message. Because chances are, there's a reason that you don't go to church. There's a reason maybe you didn't go to church or you push back against the church, or there's a reason that you don't go to church often. And usually, one of the reasons is because people who claim to be Christians say one thing and then live another way. The, the way they say is, incon- is inconsistent with the way they live their life. In fact, there's a word that people who aren't followers of Jesus often use to label Christians, and it's the word hypocrite. I don't want to be one of them. They're a bunch of hypocrites. Why would I go to church? I'm, I, you know, I, I know that there are some things I do that's hypocritical, but why would I want to knowingly become a hypocrite with all the rest of the hypocrites? And to some extent, 
we as followers of Jesus have to own up and say, yeah, like, to be fair, there are lots of things that the church has done where we deserve that title. And there are ways where we act in our lives where, yet we deserve that title. But what I want to do tonight, if you're not a follower of Jesus, is to give you a sneak peek behind the curtain. And we're going to explore and we're going to unpack uh, this idea of why it is that maybe sometimes followers of Jesus don't live in a way that's consistent with their values. Because let's be honest, all of us do it all the time. But we like to point it out in other people and it's really easy to point it out in the church or point it out in public figures or point it out in religious figures. And so tonight I want to address the followers of Jesus and how we can begin to do that. But if you're not a Christian, you're going to be able to, um, to see a little bit of this as well. I'm going to pick this idea up, this idea of how we can begin to live in a way that's consistent with who we say, uh, who we say we are and how we actually go about our lives. And if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at a letter uh, that a guy called Paul wrote uh, to a specific group of people in uh, a town called Ephesus. And this guy called Paul, uh, he, he used to live a life that was kind of completely opposite to it, it, anything that a Christian would, uh, you, your idea of Christianity or what it means to be a follower of Jesus in your mind. In fact, he used to kill Christians for a living. And then he completely changed his life around and he went around planting churches. And Paul started this church in this town called Ephesus. And Paul starts this church in this town called Ephesus and it was a really, really uh, intense cultural hub. Uh, it was, there was, it was a, a, the intersection of a number of major trade routes and a lot of religions, a lot of philosophies gathered there. And within the middle of this town uh, called Ephesus uh, was a, a temple. And the temple was built to the, uh, the Greek god Artemis. And this temple is actually one of the seven uh, uh, ancient wonders of the world. It was an absolute monstrosity. Uh, there was 20, around 20 meter high marble pillars that, would, uh, that made up this temple of Artemis. And so there's Paul's writing this letter to all these followers of Jesus who are worshipping in their homes, yet live in a culture where there's this massive temple of Artemis smack bang in the middle of their city. And let's be honest, if you, now that you understand that, the guys that are in Ephesus, these people in Ephesians, these followers of Jesus, they had the, the excuse of all excuses to live in a way that was inconsistent with who they said they were. They had all the excuses. Their whole culture was against them. You know, the, the epicenter of their, of their city, the epicenter of their culture was this massive marble pagan temple and instead they're gathering in the basements of their houses. You know, they, were, they, were kind of, they, they had no experience to Christianity. They didn't know what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. They didn't even really know who Jesus was originally. Paul had to tell them who Jesus was. And so they're, they're kind of going through it. And they had so many excuses. And Paul, he started the church and then, uh, and then in a 10-year period he started the church and then Paul went away and started other churches and then six years later he came back. And six years later, Paul came back and he addressed some issues uh, and he hung out with them a little bit more. And then four years later, Paul's left. Uh, he's left them on their own for four years and Paul's in jail. And he hears from jail that the Ephesians are starting to, you know, do some things that don't live up in a way with who they say they are. And Paul goes, you know, I know they've got every excuse in the world. I know the culture that they're in. I know the situation. I know they're going to start to come up with excuses. But if they keep doing that, I know where it's going to head. I know where it's going to lead them. So Paul writes them, and in chapter 5, he addresses this idea. And this is what he says in Ephesians 5, chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles, feel free to pull them out. Feel free to, um, to, to flick uh, to this part. If, if you don't, um, it'll come up on the screen as well. Paul says, if you want to begin to live in a way that's consistent with who you say you are and then how you carry out your life, you need to imitate God. This is the only time in uh, the New Testament um, part of the Bible that, that anyone says imitate God. In other words, be like God. And so the Ephesians go, okay, Paul, 
when do we be like God? You know, do we do it when we go to the temple? Do we do it at church on Sunday? Do we do it when we're taking an Instagram selfie of us with our Bible? Do we do it like, you know, when, when we've put all the filters on and, and we've kind of got all our makeup on and everyone thinks we're super happy? Uh, when do we do this? And Paul goes, imitate God in everything you do. Imitate God in everything you do, in every aspect of your life. And then he goes on, he says, and the reason you need to imitate God in everything you do is because you are his dear children. You are his dear children. Paul's saying to them, so the way that you live your life, the things that you do in your life, you don't do it to conform your life, you do it to transform your life. You don't do it to conform, you do it to transform. A lot of, a lot of people who maybe are outside the church, and even a lot of Christians, a lot of us who are followers of Jesus, believe that you know, we, we follow God because God wants us to conform and God wants us to do this. If you break down that word conform into its two parts, the first part is the word con. We all know what a con is, don't you? It looks like one thing, but underneath, it is, it is, it'll suck you in, and then when you get into it, you realize this is not what I signed up for. And too many of us who are followers of Jesus think we have to conform our lives. In other words, we just have to do all the Christian things that we, we see other Christians do. We don't know why they do it. We don't know how they do it. But we just believe that that's what we have. So we have to conform and live a certain way. And Paul goes, no, 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 no. I want you to transform. That word trans means to go above, go to beyond. I, don't want you, I just don't want to affect the way you do things. I want to affect the way you think about things. And the only way to do that is to imitate God, not because you have to, not because he said so, not because he gave you a list of 10 commandments, not because it'll look good on your social media, but because you are his dear children. Because you are his dear children. And the Ephesians go, okay, Paul, like we, we kind of get that, but, but how do we imitate God because we're his dear children? And Paul goes on uh, in verse 2, uh, and he says, he says this, he says, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. And all the Ephesians are starting to like get a little hot under the collar. And they're like, whoa. Christ, he's talking about here. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. And what Paul's saying to these Ephesian churches here, you should transform your life. And if you want to look at a model to transform your life to, if you want to look at a standard that you should live to, your life should point back to one who offered everything. Now, you shouldn't just offer, you shouldn't just love just where it's comfortable, just where you feel like. You shouldn't just offer your life to God in all these areas and then I'll just keep this one area, God. Because it's not really doing anyone any harm and, and if we just have a pact and I'll look after this part and you look after all the other stuff of my life, I'll keep this one secret. No one knows about it. Okay, no one's going to find out about it. I'm just going to hide this away. Paul goes, no, 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 no. You need to love and you need to offer your life and you need to lead your life in a way that it points back the ultimate sacrifice that was made where God came down to earth and hung on a cross for you. Because that's what he was willing to sacrifice for you. So if you want to live your life, you need to live in a way that points back to Jesus. If this really is great news, if this, if this really is going to transform other people, then it should be transforming you and the way you go about doing things. And then he goes, um, and maybe... I get it, maybe some of you here are followers of Jesus and, and you're starting to twig and you're going, Chris, it sounds a lot like you're asking us to do a lot of good stuff. And come on, I've read my Bible, I know that I'm not, you know, no good works save me. And that is absolutely true. Good work, there is nothing you can do, honestly, there is nothing you can do to earn your way into heaven. There is nothing you can do to earn your way for God to love you. God loves you regardless of what you do. 
But too many of us forget that there's a life we lead after we enter into that relationship with Jesus. Too many of us default and we actually slap God in the face by going, it's okay, I can do whatever I want because at the end of the day, God's got my back. I can live however I want. I can leave whatever example I want to lead and it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, God's got my back, right? What kind of father are you pointing to? What kind of relationship are you pointing other people towards in the way that you live your life? See, we're saved by faith alone, but we're not saved by our faith that remains alone. Our faith should be growing. We should be pressing into and living in the person that God has called us to be. There are probably a lot of Christians in the room right now who are thinking, oh, geez. And there's a lot of people who maybe aren't Christians in the room who are saying, yes, Yes, this is, the, this is the discrepancy that we all struggle with in our lives. And so Paul really pushes into this point now. Paul really rams it home for the Ephesians. And he goes, Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness for God. And when we read that through the lens of, you know, followers of Jesus, too many of us have the tendency to read that through the lens of, okay, so now I can't um, be sexually immoral, I can't be impure, I can't be greedy, I can't... And and Paul's Paul's using this as an example. He's saying the way the Ephesians live their life points people to the God that they worship, points people towards Artemis. If you really want to transform people's lives, you need to live your life in a way that points them to the hope that you have. If you really believe that God came to earth and died on the cross for your sins that he defeated the grave, that he has released you from, uh, from this, the bondage of sin that was over you, if you really believe that he has freed you up, then you need to live your life in a way that points back to that. You need to live your life in a way that points to the cross of Jesus. And I know some of you might be sitting here at this point and you're kind of saying, yeah, okay, look, I get it. I understand what you're saying. But see, the stuff that I'm wrestling with, it's not as big of a deal as the Ephesian stuff. You know, like, like the way that I live my life, you know, the things that I do, I can rationalise it. Anyone, no one would say what the way the Ephesians were living. No one could possibly rationalise that. That's why Paul had to write the letter. If Paul was addressing me, Paul wouldn't talk this way, surely, would he? Paul, Paul wouldn't tell me you know, to change this, this one little area of my life that I just keep to myself or that no one really knows about or that only a few little people know about. And we've kind of talked about it and we're all cool with it, right? And Paul addresses this as well because he kind of knows the way that people think and he knows that we like to make excuses and we know we like to say, oh, well, that's those people over there. I've got a different grading system and on my grading system of sin, like theirs is worse than mine. So, so I, 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 like, I want to deal with that. And this is what Paul says to them. He says, don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. And he's referring back to, to those, um, those sins that he talked about, sexual immorality. But what he's really saying is, don't be excused by people who try to conform to one way and say, no, my life really does point to Jesus. Paul goes, don't be um, fooled. For the anger of God will fall on all those who disobey. Don't participate in the things that these people do. They try to excuse as opposed to addressing it. And really what Paul is saying here, he wants to make this point, he wants to bring it front and center, and he wants them to really understand, to stop making excuses. And what Paul is is saying here is, your excuses don't excuse you. Whatever excuse you think you can come up with doesn't excuse you. 
Okay, you're, the, the, you know, just because you think you, you, know, you've, you can come up with a really eloquent excuse that you can rationalize in your mind to, to get rid of the cognitive dissonance that you're suffering, your excuses don't excuse you because you've been called to something higher. You've been called, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been called into a relationship with your heavenly father. And he has called you his son. He has called you his daughter. And he has done that freely as a gift for you. And so Paul was saying, why do, you want to, why do you want to keep making up all these excuses as a reason not to offer your life? He's, Jesus has paid the ultimate sacrifice. So why do we keep, why do you, why do, why do we keep make, coming up with these excuses as ways not to follow him? And, and I totally understand if you're pushing back against it. I really, I get it. Trust me, because when I was writing this message, I was like, I really don't want to say this because... I'm pushing back against myself as I'm saying this message. It would be a lot more comfortable if I didn't write this down on paper because then I wouldn't have to think about the areas in my life that I push back against. Because I have a microphone and because I stand at the front doesn't mean that there are areas in my life that, that don't align with who God has called me to be as a follower of Jesus. This is a, this is a Christian thing. This is something we all struggle with. But deep down, the reason you're pushing back Deep down, the reason that there's tension there is because you know that there are areas in your life that don't live up to who God has called you to be. I didn't need to tell you that tonight. I'm just making you think about it and I'm making you address it and it's uncomfortable. But you don't get anywhere, you don't push deeper into that relationship unless you begin to address some of these uncomfortable things. And for those of you who are still pushing back, I get it, it's uncomfortable, you don't want to deal with it, you know it's there, but you just keep trying to forget about it. This is what Paul says. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of the light. In other words, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the hope of the resurrection in you. You have the light of Jesus in you. You have been called a child, a son, a daughter of the of your heavenly father. Live your life in a way that points other people towards the light because ultimately your life is not about you. Your life is about the the other people in your world that you're showing Jesus to. Your life is not all about you when you became a Christian. And the way you live your life points people to the eternal hope that is found in a man who came 2,000 years ago and died on a cross. And maybe you're still there and you're thinking, yeah, but, but Chris, you don't understand who's going to look at me. Who's going to pay attention to me? Why should I bother changing this one area of my life? Because what impact am I possibly going to have? I don't have a microphone. I don't have a Bible degree. I don't, I don't stand up the front in church and lead. I don't know how to play a musical instrument. I, I can't hold conversations really. What, what difference am I going to make in my life? And the lives of people around me. I just want to finish up as, as we begin to wrap up. I just want to show you this um, guy on the screen. This guy, um, this guy's William, his name's William Lane Craig. Um, and William Lane Craig, he is, um, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, even if you're not, you, got, you might know C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. He's probably one of the, the greatest uh, Christian writers and defenders of the faith of the 20th century. This guy is probably uh, at the forefront of uh, apologetics, so giving reasonable answers for, um, for God's existence in the 21st century. The kind of fields where he's stepping into, the research that he's doing, is unprecedented, it's, it's unheard of. 
Uh, this guy, actually, on the next slide, I actually had the opportunity to meet this guy. This guy is my hero. He's one of my faith heroes. Like, I fanboy over this guy so much. You know, my wife, like, made fun of me because when I was, like, going up to see him, I was, like, all nervous. I was, like, oh, my hair's looking good. Like, you know, I didn't even wear a cap that night. I wanted to impress him so much. Like, you know, I'd shaved up. I was, looking, I was really nervous. But this guy, William Lane Craig, might have never become a Christian if it wasn't for one girl in his year 10 German class. In fact, the, the first, you know, up until grade 10, he wasn't a follower of Jesus. He wasn't a follower of Jesus. Didn't know, he didn't grow up in a Christian home, didn't, didn't go to church, didn't really know anything about Jesus until this one girl in his German class in year 10 used to really bug him because she was happy. Didn't do, she's just a happy person. And this girl is bugging him because he's got some stuff going on in his life and he wasn't, you know, he was really struggling. And one day he says, you know, he just tapped her on the shoulder and he said, why are you so damn happy all the time? What, what is there to be happy about? The world sucks. There's nothing good going on. Why are you so happy? And this girl had the opportunity to turn around to him and share with him the message of Jesus. And the reason that she was living her life in what drew him in was because she had a hope that was beyond this world. And then he says, you know, you know months later, after searching and digging, he actually became a Christian. And he said, I couldn't do anything but in my life, but dedicate my life to this pursuit of, of defending and going into universities where, where, you know, where they don't, uh, you know, secular universities where, where people don't, haven't even heard of Jesus. He travels all through Europe into universities where people don't even know what Christianity is and debates, you know, really uh, big name guys like Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris and Christopher Hitchens. He said, I couldn't help but just bring a voice bring a Christian voice into this world and and help people to see that there is a God who loves them, there is a God who cares for them, there is a God who gave his life for them. And if they're struggling because of the intellectual reasons, I wanted to give them a hope as well on an intellectual level. And this guy has impacted thousands of people and he's impacted my life so deeply. Because when I was going through struggles in my life and when I was writing um, uh, one of my theses, he was the guy that I read. He was the guy that I kind of poured into and he almost mentored me from afar. I never met him apart from this you know, 30 second briefing and he wouldn't remember it, um, but I remembered it. And so you don't know the impact that your life, the way you live your life could have. And the reason that he's doing what he's doing is because one girl in a grade 10 um, German class was happy. Was happy. It is time that we as followers of Jesus, stop pretending or stop deferring this idea of being the church. The church was never a building. The church was never about bricks. It was never about mortar. The church was always the people. The church was always designed to be the people. You and I, anyone who sticks their hand up as a follower of Jesus, we are the church. And it is time that we stop deferring, living our lives in a way you know, that, that doesn't match up with who we're called to be because we think we're not qualified. We think our past disqualifies us. We think we're not good enough. We think no one will listen to us. We don't think we have the degrees. Because you don't know how God will use you to impact someone's destiny, someone's eternal destiny, how that could change the course of history. You do not know who you have the opportunity to impact. And so we have this thing at Beyond called Four Monday. And our four Monday this week is really simple. We want to ask you, um, you're going to ask yourself two questions. The first one is sort of easy. The second one is a little bit harder. Um, if you're a, and this is just for followers of Jesus. So if, if you're a flashlight, and um, I said flashlight, and once I read it, I, I put it down, I realized that 
we say torch in Australia, so you'll have to forgive me. Um, but if, if you're a flashlight, what would your light be pointing towards? In other words, if your life were a flashlight, what would it point towards? Would it point to the resurrected Saviour? Would you kind of maybe, like Jesus would be hanging on the cross and you'd kind of point to a hand and the rest of it like would point off into darkness? What would your life be pointing towards? And if you're struggling to answer that or, or maybe you think, oh, I think it would be pointing towards this way, this is the second question to answer, ask yourself. If you're a flashlight, where would your friends say your light is pointing towards? The people who know you the best, the people who see you live your life out, where would they say your light is pointing towards? Because we have the opportunity right now to remove that label of hypocrite that the church has carried for so long. We actually have the opportunity to be the church and to live our lives in a way that actually shines people towards the hope and the future that we say that we have and the transforming love of Jesus that we have in our hearts. Let's pray. Father, it's, um, it's not always easy to, um, to live a life that matches up with uh, who we claim to be. And we're thankful that we have a saviour that gave everything so that we didn't have to earn your love. There's nothing we have to do uh, to earn uh, your favour. Lord, but we want to live our lives in a way that points back to you. Father, we want our lights to shine back to you. Shine back to the hope that is found in Jesus. Shine back to the hope that is found in his victory over death shine back to the hope that is found in forgiveness of sins. And this is something all, each and every one of us struggle with. Whether we're a Christian or, or whether we're not, we're, they're things that we say uh, and then we live in a way that's opposed to those things. So Lord, help us th- this week to really address where our flashlight, where our torch, where our light is shining and ask us, is it really shining smack bang on Jesus? Are there some some things we have to adjust so that our life can shine fully on the hope that is found in the one who overcame the grave, the one who forgives all sins? Lord, help us to be the church this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.